Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and not with me, as not always, is Britain's next top model, Zach Mabry. So, this week, it is just me. That is the big change that we tweeted about. Um, It's not because there's anything wrong with Zach outside of the normal things wrong with Zach. But just thought we would give this a shot because I had a story to tell and I thought it would be interesting to tell it on my own and kind of my thoughts surrounding what happened and just to see if it worked, just to see if I could carry a podcast by myself in the sweet confines of the sink area of my bathroom inside of my studio apartment without the loving embrace of a co-host. So it's already off to a flying start. If you like it, you can tweet us at Roman Circus Pod. I'm at Hey, it's Matt Baker. Zach is at Zach Mabry, Z-A-C Mabry. Email us podcast at romancircusblog.com. You can find us on iTunes. If you have a second, please rate and review us. That would help the show out a lot. You can also find us on Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, and any other podcast format. Okay, so this is usually the part where I go, Zach, what's in the news? We're going to forego all that unless you want me to talk about the return of the NBA, but I won't do that. So this past weekend, I went to Phoenix to be in one of my best friend's weddings. It was a great day. I really did enjoy it. It was fun to be one of the groomsmen and, uh, you know, his whole family was there and I know his family a bunch and. All of his buddies from high school, we didn't go to the same high school, but we met in high school. Um, so all his buddies from high school were there. It was pretty great. Uh, if, if you if you haven't been to a wedding recently, I highly recommend it. Um, and if you have, I'm sure you enjoyed it. But anyway, so I didn't know I didn't know if I wanted to tell this story because I didn't want it to seem like I was bragging or anything. But it happened, and a few people said I should tell it, um, so I will. We go, it comes time for communion, and um, I've always found that, and I'm sure you have too, that communion in a Catholic wedding is kind of chaotic because there are probably a lot of non-Catholics there, and the priest will give some sort of, um, some sort of, you know, buffer of if you're Catholic and you're in the state of grace, you can come up and receive. If not, uh, they'll either say, you know, you can come up and receive a blessing or you can stay in the pew, whatever you feel comfortable with. Um, you know, even though they say that it still tends to be a little confusing and just sometimes just everybody comes up. Right. So since I was, one of the groomsmen, and I'm a very special boy. I was one of the first to receive. And I went back into the pew, 
And just as I'm kneeling down, I look up and a gentleman goes, goes up, receives communion, proceeds to just turn, walk away, and just kind of start holding it and showing it to people. And very, he's very confused on what he should actually do with the host. And all of a sudden in my mind, it's like, oh no, this is going to end bad. Because I hear, I've heard horror stories of hosts winding up inside of missiles. Like people will get the host, either not know what to do with it or not want to consume it out of, I don't know, embarrassment or something. So they will just go back and they will put the host in the missile or they will put it under the pew. All these horror stories that I've heard from priests of finding it and having to, you know, um, clean up the area that the, the Eucharist was found. It's just, it's gotta be terrible to be a priest and find this. So I see this guy doing this and he walks by my pew and I basically fly over a couple people and I go, Hey, and I just start snapping at him like that. You know what a snap is. I start snapping at him and I go, Hey, and I just do the give it here motion and they force him to give it to me and I instantly consume it. Um, I've never done that before. I've never been in a situation where I've had to do that. I don't know how many people have. Um, if you have and you've done that, good work. Um, I hope I hope that a majority of you have never had to do that. So I, I go to kneel down and I'm like instantly filled with just ultra Catholic rage, right? Because it it was just a shock. Um, it was like a a split second decision and it just happened. Right. I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying to claim that I'm great or that I did, you know, that I'm, that I'm like the world's foremost hero and I should get a statue on every lawn. I'm not saying that if you want to put one up, that's fine. Um, but yeah, I'm just filled with just this, like, uh, like this energy, like some ultra Catholic rage energy. Right. Because I'm, first of all, I already am assuming that the communion is going to be chaotic. And then like one of the worst communion fears outside of pure desecration, um, is, is happening. So you have like a split second to react. Right. Um, so I'm trying not to be ultra furious. I, I did go up after this ceremony after the mass to, I didn't want to apologize to the guy cause I felt like I had nothing to apologize for, but I at least wanted to make him aware of what happened and why I did what I did. Uh, so he, I, I walk up and I said, Hey man, about what happened. And he just goes, Oh no, that was awesome. I was like, what? It's like, that was amazing. I, I went up there I got this. I had no idea what to do, and I was very confused. Next thing I know, you you flew over a few people, and you're like, hey, give it to me. And I just gave it to you, and you just put it in your mouth and knelt back down. I was like, yes, that's what happened. He's like, that was amazing. Now I have a story to tell. I was like, well, you could have told a story about the great wedding you saw but and the great union of two great people, but sure. that's I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that you don't think I'm a jerk and you don't want to punch me in the face. And, uh, yeah, so that's, 
And the rest of the night, every time he saw me, he was like, hey, Matt. I'm like, hey, Sean. He's like, what's up, man? I'm like, yeah, great. Um, so that's that's kind of what happened. It it's it's very it's very weird. I afterwards, like throughout the night, a few few people came would come up to me and say that they saw it, and it was actually kind of nice that to see the reverence for the Eucharist from from these people that would come up. They would just be like, "Oh no, you have to consume it right there." What is that guy doing? Thinking about taking it away? Like so it. It was just nice to, it was just nice, you know, I don't know what level of belief or what level of Catholicity these people have, but it was just nice to know that the reverence for the Eucharist is there. And it got me thinking basically just about reverence for the Eucharist in general. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about in my TED talk tonight. Welcome, welcome to my, my TED talk. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to like make it sound like I think everyone out there is idiots who don't have reverence for the Eucharist because that's not what I think. This is just kind of my, me, uh, and my thoughts because I thought a lot about, I thought a lot the rest of the night and this was a few days ago and I'm still thinking about it. It's kind of a thing that will be with me for a while because I I don't think I had I don't think I had like a the understanding I do now of the Eucharist until probably 3 years ago, okay? And I I don't want to say the full understanding cuz we don't we won't have the full understanding. I heard a talk by a father friar here in LA who I reference a lot. And I also call father Bitcoin. He basically gave a talk on particle theory. Now, particle theory is the idea and the belief that Christ is fully present in every bit of the Eucharist. That means if it's the full host, if it's half the host, if it's a quarter of the host, if it's, a sliver of the host, if it's even a even a particle that's we can't even see with our eyes, Christ would be fully inside of that particle, right? And it makes sense because it, it, I'm sure plenty of us have been to Mass where the priest is running out of the Eucharist. There's more people than he expected that day, which is a good thing. So he starts to break the host and he'll give you little pieces of it. So obviously that means that it's fully, that Christ is fully present in that segment and in that part of the Eucharist as he would be if you were to consume an entire six-foot circle of host, right? And also in the in the Latin Mass, they don't even, they don't do the precious blood because it was in order to, snuff out a heresy there was a heresy that claimed that you weren't actually receiving the full communion unless you had the the bread and the wine so they wanted to snuff that out but yeah so he gave this talk and he just talked about how even if we were to get and i don't want to make it sound like bad or depressing but 
even if we were to get a, a bit on our fingers and we were just to like flick it away into the air, that means we flicked the fullness of the body, blood, soul, and divinity of the second person of the Trinity into the air, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's weird. And it, I, I know we don't want to think about it, but yeah. So I, I, it's just like a really heavy thing that made me realize like we either have to believe fully that this is what we say it is, or I mean, why believe it at all? Right. Like it's with, you know, with all due respect to the Protestants who have this sort of service who, I don't even know, believe that they, it's like a, like a, a, a memory, like we're like a simulation of what was happening. I, I, I don't know. I don't want to say too much cause I don't actually know. Like, but that to me is not, I don't even know why you would do that. Right. So that's kind of the background of when it all clicked for me. Um, not, I guess clicked is, you know, clicked as much as it can. It like, do we, I don't know if we ever set aside the idea of sin, right. And coming like w- the unfortunate part is every, every single Sunday that the Eucharist is desecrated thousands of times over by those who receive in mortal sin. Right. And we've, I mean, there's, I'd be hard pressed to find someone who hasn't in their life. Right which is unfortunate, but we need to, we need to basically (laughs) strive to not do that. And we can't let embarrassment of not receiving or embarrassment of not going to confession stop us. It, yeah. So we, what do we really think that, the Eucharist is, is kind of the main question. Like if we believe what we state it is, then what are we doing in our own lives? Or what are we doing at that moment to make ourselves worthy of receiving it? Right. I don't know, like the idea of us ever being worthy of that, I guess is a whole other question, but it was given to us. It is a sacrament. It was done for us. So in some respects, we are on a level worthy of it, I guess, because in our, in our brokenness, we were given it. So it, if Christ deemed us worthy to have that, then on some level we are. But just looking at all the things surrounding it, like what I don't, you know, it's it like the actual the actual bread itself. It's just made. It's flour and water, right? That's all it is. There's no like additives. There's no anything. It has to be just flour and just water. There's a mon. There was a monastery in Mexico, I believe it shut down, where they used to make the hosts, and what they would do is. They had their they had their host maker and they would grease it up and they would take care of getting it prepped and they would make a 
batch of hosts and they would throw them out because when they when they put the the grease or they put the pam or whatever they would use they would have to do a batch because they could not get any of they would have to make it slick enough that they the host could pop out on their own but they couldn't get any of the of the um you know the grease on the actual host because that's how much care they took to make sure that it was just flour and water so you know all this work would go into just making the first batch which they would immediately throw out right you can't like just think of like the time that it would take to do that knowing that the the first first thing you will do like it's imagine writing a paper and taking all your time and you're like well this this first paper this first 20 page paper is the one that I'm going to delete before I make before I do the next 10 20 page papers right so if that's the if it starts with that if it starts because it has to be pure it has to be pure ingredients and it also if if a batch came out and there were any blemishes on these hosts at all they would throw the entire batch out because it has to be unblemished right just like in the passover where the the lamb that was sla- slaughtered had to be of perfect perfect age and it ha- couldn't have it had to be unblemished that's what the host has to be too okay so that's the beginning of where the Eucharist starts. It starts being made by people who take meticulous care to make sure something that is not flour and water does not get into the hosts and that there are no blemishes whatsoever on these hosts just to make sure that they are ready to be packaged and shipped to us, okay? Then when they get to us, now... The priests, they take extra care to make sure that during the consecration, none of these fragments get out, that none of it, when they're, when they're snapping the giant host in half, that it just doesn't like blast into a million pieces right all over the altar. There are some priests that once the host is consecrated, will keep their thumb and forefinger closed the entire rest of the time unless they are, it is directly over the chalice or it is holding another host because they don't want to risk any of the particles in those fingers to spread anywhere else, okay? And they take great care. Like I've, I've seen priests do this to where they will actually manage the other things with the other three fingers. If they have to open the tabernacle, they will use the knuckles of the other three fingers in order to turn the key, right? Just so they would not, just so they would not break the thumb and forefinger where particles may rest. That's why the Eucharist. And things are done over the corporal on the altar to make sure that anything is contained within that small square section on just to make sure it doesn't spread, you know, fly anywhere, as I've said before. 
That's why in the corporal is folded a specific way so that any, any crumbs inside the corporal are protected by a few layers before it can reach the air, right? So the people who make it take great care to make sure that it's unblemished and just flour and water. When it arrives to the priest, they take great care to make sure that it is basically protected at all costs. The priest isn't even supposed to leave the altar once the consecrated host is there. And then after communion, if there's any extra hosts, they're not just thrown out, right? The priest, I've seen this occasion, on occasion at daily mass, the priest will consume the rest of the hosts. Or they're placed into a ciborium that is a cover is put on. It is then placed in a tabernacle with a white sheet over the top of it. And then the tabernacle is locked. It's just not kept out for anybody to see. It is tucked away and only accessible by key. And then everything is cleaned up very meticulously. There's a proper process to to clean to make sure that all the particles are removed from the bowl and put into the chalice and then consumed by the priest. And then there's a special sink where the... the <laughs> where all this is it i i know it i'm going over every single detail but just to kind of lock in that there there's not a single step that is just left to our own devices right and it's because of what is happening is really happening and it's very cool to see to watch all of it done it's it's very exciting right in my very monotone, uninspired, unexciting voice. It's very exciting, but it is. There's a patent that is can be, is placed under the host as it's transferred to the the laity to make sure, in case it falls, that it can be caught so it doesn't touch the ground. If it does touch the ground, which is a terribly unfortunate event. There's a process, a purification that is done in that spot, right? So there's nothing that leads up to the Eucharist getting to us that is just done haphazardly. And if it is, if there is somewhere along the way that I'm forgetting, um, that is terrible. Please do not do it haphazardly. Yeah, that's my whole point is there's this we know we we claim to know what it is and I'm glad we do and I'm glad everyone out here listening is thinking I'm really just repeating stuff that they all know. And that's kind of the point of this is I this is all stuff that thankfully we are taught and thankfully we know and thankfully is you know, we're confronted with every Sunday or if you go to daily mass or whatever. But that, it also, then we also can take it for granted, 
right? Like we are, when we consume the Eucharist, we are a, we are a human monstrance for 15 minutes. When you go to adoration and you see the monstrance and you see the host inside, we become that for 15 minutes. So if you wanted to pray, that would be a pretty good time to do it, right? We, get, we, we, we look and we seek God and we seek, we want God to be close to us. If we go receive in a state of grace, God is literally inside of us, right? Besides the fact that he holds us in existence every moment of our lives and for the rest of eternity. That's another podcast. But so we, we, we have such great access to this sacrament. There, there have been hundreds of years of this sacrament, thousands of years, and there have been times, and there are still places where it is almost not accessible, right? People have to face death, and people, people, I don't know, they face whatever they face. They go months without it, and it is such a great gift when they get it. If you haven't read Bishop Snyder's book on the Eucharist, it's very small. Bishop Athanasius Snyder it's on Amazon. You should get it. It's like, I don't know. It's not very long, but it just tells these stories of people who live in the remote areas who didn't have access to this. And it would just be such a celebration, but it's good. It's great that we have this sacrament and it's great that we're allowed to go there every day. Right. But we also, I don't know if we take it for granted. I sure I do. I mean, there's times I'm thinking about like, I don't know, Norm Macdonald stand-up jokes the entire time through Mass. Or, like, I'm thinking about a football game that's going to happen. Like, there are times when I'm just completely a space cadet. You've listened to the podcast. You know I'm a, we're all wild men around here. So I'm not... this Again, this is not a podcast about the greatness of Matt Baker and... Well, sorry. This is a podcast where Matt Baker wants to talk about his greatness. But it is not a podcast about the greatness of Matt Baker, even though his ego wants it to be. It is, it's just a, like, we all, we all take it for granted. And even if we think we don't, we do. Right? Like, it's so, I'm, I don't want this to get rambly. These are, that's just kind of my thoughts. It's like, if every single time, you are confronted with the Eucharist and you are someone who believes that that is the true presence right there in front of your face. Like what is the, and then also what is the correct response? Like is a, like, amen. Thank you. I take a step to the side, do a reverent, reverent sign of the cross and that's it. Like in revelation, John, the, Beloved apostle who never left Jesus' side was brought up into heaven, confronted with Jesus, and fell on his face as if he were dead. Now, this is a person who knew Jesus, right? And he was still confronted with this heavenly image and fell completely on his face. Now, I'm not saying we should do that. Like, well, maybe we should, but I'm not saying, like, I do that or Zach doesn't do that, right? 
but we certainly like, there's gotta be some other things that we can do to come slightly close to replicating that in our own lives, whether it I'm okay. Like receiving on the tongue. I mean, it seems like a pretty decent start, right? There's like a, I I don't want to turn this into a controversial thing, but my pitch for receiving on the tongue is there's very limited body parts that the host comes in contact with, right? Now it can be awkward and you're sticking your tongue out at a priest, but at the same time, maybe that is a slight change of reverence or it's if you want to receive on your knees. I don't know. It's just, these are, it's all, if you feel yourself taking any of this for granted, maybe switch it up, maybe do something to change up the reverence. Now make sure any change is reverent. I don't want you liturgically dancing with the Eucharist on top of your head like a psycho. But <laughs> yeah, just it the whole point and I'll wrap it up soon, I promise, is if the Eucharist is what we claim to believe and it is what we think we think it is, uh maybe I'll cut that last part out. I don't know if that sentence made sense. But it's, there's never, we should always be looking to do it better in our own lives. If you haven't been to confession, go to confession. I promise you it's only embarrassing for like five seconds. And then you realize that everybody in the line is a dirty, dirty sinner like you. And you're over it. That's, that's the best thing about confession is everyone, everyone is you in the confessional in the line, right? You are everyone else. You just want to go there to do penance, to sin no more, to avoid the near occasion of sin. Amen. Confession. Receive in a state of grace. Do not just... If you can't receive that week, then don't receive. That's another thing is do not be scared to not receive. Um, Our friend Steve the Missionary did a video about this. I think a week or two ago, I forget the exact date, but yeah, just so small changes, small changes for a gigantic sacrament. That's really, that's really the thesis uh, statement of this lecture is I was just confronted with all this when I saw someone walk away with the host, which I had never seen before. I'm sure it had happened at a mass I've been to, but, and it just all hit me and I haven't stopped thinking about our place in the world compared to the Eucharist. Um, if I left anything out or if this was really silly, you can let me know about it. Um, we'd always love to hear your stories about this if you have stopped any dirty dirty satanists from leaving with the eucharist then let us know that's pretty amazing but yeah just think about one more time all the all the prep and all the precious precious work on just our end that it takes to get to us we don't want the last two seconds of that host before it comes to us to be 
you know, taken in vain, right? And, uh, yeah, that's, that's it. That's, uh, that's kind of what I got. I'll leave it at about a half an hour before it gets too rambly. I'll do a saint of the week. Just cause, just cause Zach isn't here doesn't mean the boys can't have a little fun with some saints of the week. St. Gerard, feast day, October 16th. Now this is, the reason I picked this is I have two good friends out in Los Angeles, both named Gerardo, Gerardo. Um, They're great men. And also because Gerard is the high school my parents went to in Phoenix, Gerard Catholic High School, which is now apartment buildings because for some reason they knocked it down and it was very traumatic in our family and uh, as it should be. But that is where my parents went to high school and a bunch of families from that high school ended up at the Catholic high school Seton that I went to. So every time we would have a football game or something, it was basically a Gerard homecoming, which was pretty fun. He was an Italian Italian lay brother of the Congregation of the Redeemer, better known as the Redemptorists, which sounds like some sort of band that would play some sort of slow, drifting music that didn't really land anywhere, you know? I don't know. Uh, his intercession is sought for children, unborn children, women in childbirth, mothers, expectant mothers, motherhood. That's like four of the same thing. The falsely accused, good confessions, lay brothers, and Muro Lucano, Italy. So there you go. Good confessions. He's the patron saint of good confessions. Go to confession. Um, I'm sure we all know a bunch of expectant mothers, so we can all pray to St. Gerard for that he was canonized in 1904 by pope pius x he died in 1755 at the age of 29 of tuberculosis which is one of those diseases i've only read about in textbooks all right well next week we are back we have an interview next week with the guys from the coaster so that'll be pretty good listen to their show we'll be on that show as well and yeah thanks for listening to me ramble for a little bit i hope you enjoyed it we aren't going to do solo shows often but we wanted to just test this one out and uh yeah thanks for listening we'll talk to you guys next time (laughs) 